Good morning. I just want to let you know that we're a bit under construction here in the sanctuary. Uh, There's some glass and some plants over here off to the side that are normally in other places. But you'll notice uh, we have some new windows up here on the front, up by the... uh, by the altar and their and over here and they're going to be working on those later this week so in case you're wondering why does the glass look different it does look different it just hasn't been tinted yet so there's still more to come but it looks great so far also just a reminder after our second service today we're having a voters meeting and again there we are proposing a few constitutional changes and trying to get a quorum for that which is a higher number of participants than usual so if you are able to come back for that we would greatly appreciate it and there's also going to be a light luncheon served as well i am starting an adult confirmation class for anyone who's interested it will begin on thursday evening february 16th Uh, The class runs for about six weeks, and uh, each class is only about 45 minutes long. So if you know of anyone who's interested, feel free to let me know or feel free to contact the church office. Right now, it looks like we have about three, maybe four people who will be doing it. So uh, the more, the merrier. The Old Testament reading for this, the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, is from the sixth chapter of Micah. Hear what the Lord says. Arise. Plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt, and redeemed you from the house of slavery, And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shechem to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle reading is from the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. 
a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Something really spectacular was said in our Old Testament reading today from Micah. In this passage, God didn't just speak to his people, which he does all the time in the Old Testament. But in this passage, God actually asked his people a question. And God wanted them to answer him. God said this, Oh my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you that you would somehow be upset with me? Answer me. And then God recounted how he brought them out of Egypt, saved them from being slaves. But now, so quickly after that, the people have left God. Why? What did God do to deserve that? Did he upset them somehow? That's what he wants to know. God did everything needed to save his people. And yet so often they just kept wondering what they needed to do for themselves so that they could feel that they had been saved. So they would worry about how many burnt offerings they made. 
They would worry about making enough sacrifices so that they could feel forgiven. They even got to the point in their lives spiritually where they would ask, do I need to sacrifice my firstborn for my sins, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul, so that I can feel 100% sure that my sins really will be taken away? And their God is offering salvation for free. All by his works and by his efforts. And that's why God asks his people. Oh my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? That you would not look to me for your salvation. Answer me. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth today, he said this. We preach Christ crucified. And that's right. Paul did preach Christ crucified. And we do too. We proclaim that clear gospel in all times and in all places that it is God who has worked salvation for all of us through the cross. Through the crucifixion of Jesus and only by the crucifixion of Jesus, we are saved. That is true. But that does not mean we are always looking to that cross. Remember, a long time ago, God saved his people in the Old Testament through the Exodus. And even though God saved them, they still look for reassurance For their salvation in other ways. The number of sacrifices they made. Or the sincerity of the sacrifices they made. And we can do the same thing. God has indeed saved us. Through the crucifixion of Christ. He has. But does that mean our hearts are always looking at that crucifixion? For reassurance of our salvation? God has saved us by the work of Christ. He has. But does that mean our minds automatically lean upon that crucifixion every single time we feel uncertain of our salvation? When we are feeling weak in the faith, do we automatically always look to the cross for reassurance? Or do we maybe sometimes try to reassure ourselves by saying how we aren't so bad as others are worse than us. Or the sin I did isn't so bad compared to others. For example, Lent is just around the corner. And during Lent, a lot of Christians focus on what they are doing. They need to make sure they don't eat meat on Fridays. They need to make sure they take something away from themselves for 40 days, you know, like not eating chocolate. But what do eating fish and not eating chocolate have anything to do with the crucifixion? All of a sudden, for a time of year, when we are supposed to be focusing upon Christ and his suffering... We're strangely focusing upon ourselves and what we are doing and not necessarily focusing upon Christ more at all. 
Or think about when we sin against someone, maybe a spouse or coworker, someone in school, or another family member. Maybe we don't think it's a big sin. And in the end, we just don't feel badly about it. A lot of times we'll just say to ourselves, well, I don't feel too badly about what I did. It's not that big of a deal. And look what we do when we do this. We become the ones who are forgiving our own sins, not Jesus. We are the ones who are deciding to release ourselves because we don't think it's that bad of a sin. Is it Jesus' crucifixion that forgives our sins? Is that even needed? Or do we sometimes become the ones who wipe away our own sin by excusing it, by saying, my sin wasn't that bad? And when we do that, the words of God should be ringing in our ears as well. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you that you would not come to me for salvation? Answer me. Not always looking to God for our salvation is a problem for all of us. And I especially see this when we die. You would think that when we are dying, our final days would be about gazing upon the cross of Christ and peacefully drifting off knowing Jesus has done everything needed to save us. I hope that's what happens. But sometimes at death, your sinful nature will try and take your focus off of Christ. Your sinful nature will try and have you take comfort in yourself. I was a good husband or wife. I did my job well. I was a good mom or dad. I gave to the church. People will ask their own family members this, almost seeking reassurance from them as they die. But never forget, all of the reassurance we need of our salvation, any reassurance we ever need, is always right in front of us. Because whether we are living or dying, right in front of us is Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, which destroys the power of death over all of us. And Christ is always there in front of you. We never have to look for comfort outside of Christ. We never have to look for reassurance inside ourselves. Christ is always there. Today the Apostle Paul wrote, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. And for this reason we preach Christ crucified. As we live, there is no greater certainty of our salvation than in what Christ has done for us on the cross. You may feel tempted to feel saved by looking at your own works or your own fasting. You may be tempted to feel you are saved by saying you were a good mom or dad or that you did your job well. But all of this convincing of yourself will fail you at some point. At some point, 
These attempts will all fail. But Christ won't. Christ will never fail you. Think about that. God has really done everything needed to save you, hasn't he? If there is something lacking, by all means, let God know. If there is something God missed in saving you, by all means, tell him what he missed. That's what he was asking his people through the prophet Micah today. But he hasn't missed anything, has you? And he has done everything needed to save you. You are saved. You are fully saved by the work of Christ on that cross and by nothing else. And what a tremendous comfort that is for all of us. It's an amazing comfort that's all yours. You can allow yourself to be carried away by the fact that God really has done everything needed to save you. He has rescued you from every single sin done to you and committed by you. His death has really paid for every single sin, hasn't it? Today, God asked his people this. Oh, my people, have I done something to you? And you know what? God ended up answering his own question through Christ by saying, No, I have done nothing to you. Instead, I have done everything for you. And that's really what God says to you. I have done everything for you. And you will basically hear those words today. In the Lord's Supper, when Christ gives you his body and blood and reminds you again that his work on the cross was done, in Jesus' own words, for the forgiveness of all of your sins. That's what Jesus has done for you. We don't have to look for something else. We don't have to crave for something different. We don't have to try and seek something that we think is better than that. We can learn and believe with our whole heart that what Christ has done for us really is enough. And in that, we can find enormous comfort every single day of our lives. Amen. And now may the peace of our God, which surpasses our understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.